2 Thessalonians chapter 1. This is the second letter written to the church of Thessalonica by Paul, Silas, and Timothy. It says here, Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they hung out for a period of 18 months while they were in the city of Corinth. That's about the amount of time that they were all three together, and that's when this was written, the second letter, recorded letter that we have between uh, the church and Paul, and Paul is writing to them in, in old, you know, old world style. You, when you start writing, you put your name in the front because it's a scroll. You don't want to go, who's writing this, and get to the very end of the scroll and go, oh yeah, that's it, and then roll it back up. Just write at the front. They just let you know who it is. It's Paul, Timothy, and Silas, and they would have known them. They came through, they preached the gospel to them, they loved them. Timothy was sent back to hang out with them for a while, and so it was very familiar. Paul, Timothy, and Silas to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the definition of a church, being in God the Father and Jesus Christ. How many of you go to church? How does that fit up with this definition? A little different, isn't it? To the church that is in Christ. You remember in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, I know you do, go into all the world, preach the gospel, right? To all nations, baptizing them what? Into the name of the Father, into the name of the Son, into the name of the Holy Spirit. You're being adopted. You're being brought into a family. So when we say that you're part of the church, the word church is iglesia, which is the gathering, the gathering that is in Christ Jesus, Christ's kids, God's kids. That's who we are. That's what a, that's what a church truly is. And if you look at other, other verses, Galatians chapter 3, 26 through 27, he talks about you being children when you were baptized that we are born into this family by faith in Jesus Christ, by trusting into him. We come into the family. We don't come into the building. We actually, we bring the building with us. Did you know that? When you came here this morning, you brought the building of the church with you because what, is it, what do the scriptures teach? That you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So what does that tell you? Where does Christ dwell? In buildings made with hands? No. In you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Holy Spirit lives, dwells in you. The person of God now lives inside of you. And so when Paul's talking to this church, he says, all of you who are in Christ Jesus, you are in him and he is in you. The way we come into the, is we go in through the door, in through Jesus Christ. That's how we become into the family of God. There's no other way, through faith in Jesus Christ. And so he makes that clear right from the beginning. What is the definition of a church? The church is a gathering of people, a person who is in God our Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. His name is over the banner of your heart. You are now in the, his house so to speak. His rules apply to your life, to my life. His rule, his authority, his love, the way he does stuff, that's the banner now over our life, being in Christ. 
And if you could more picture it of that old world, uh, even ancient, maybe America, um, hierarchical model of a patriarchal model of the family. The father was the one who ruled the family. And everything, all the decisions, everything that was made was, were, was through the father as God set, up, set it up in Genesis. And he was the one who was to protect, to provide, to oversee, to love, to tend to all these things. And God set that up as a picture. And this family would be blessed under a good father. Amen? And we know that, li- that there are many fathers who are contrary to that. That's not what we're talking about this morning. I'm talking the pictures that God gave us. We know there are many different scenarios in families. That's not what I'm talking about. When God set up the world, he set it up that way, and then it broke down because of sin. Amen? Let's get that out of the way. And so there's this beautiful picture of being in our God's house, and all the provisions, and all the riches, and everything we have in him, in Christ Jesus, the spiritual weapons we have, the spiritual gifts, the calling, the surety of who we are because of Jesus Christ. We're in his house, all the things. John has done uh, little or nothing to earn or to deserve anything that Christina and I have given him. Correct? Anyone with kids, say amen. Anyone who is a kid, say amen. (laughs) But that is the covering, the love, and and the provision I give him because... I love him. And so anyways, uh, that is important to notice. And he says in, in the classic greeting here, grace and peace. Grace is that, that Gentile, uh, the, the, Greek, uh, the Gentiles, the Greeks would have understood that to mean grace. Uh, you know, have a good day. Basically, got, uh, the idea behind the grace is, um, is the Gentile version of peace to you, so to speak. And then you have... Uh, and then you have uh, peace, which is shalom, which is Jewish. So grace and peace to you uh, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and from Matt Dotson. Doesn't work really well, does it? <clears throat> I don't like that one as much because it kind of falls apart. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and Jesus Christ. And now he starts his, <clears throat> his, his deal here. And he says, we ought to thank God, for you, brothers and sisters, and rightfully so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love, sorry, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. I, I don't know about, I can just relate to this. And, And the way I relate to it is the opposite. When people's faith is dead, when people's love has grown cold, I don't have much room for rejoicing. Do you? How's that, when, you, when your own heart, when your faith is stunted, when your love is grown cold, how are you doing it on the inside of you? Not too well. You're not over, there isn't the joy of the Lord in your heart. There's a dissatisfaction with life. There might be a grumpiness and all that stuff. And Paul felt like that probably about the church of Galatia, right? He's like, oh gosh, man, you guys drive me nuts. I love you, but what's going on in your lives is, is just contradicting all that could be. And now he's got this church that is growing in their faith, growing in their love. It's abounding. And he's like, this is awesome. God loves a church that is growing. 
And how we can just talk about how let's multiply our church. What kind of growth is he talking about? Faith and love, the inner workings. That's what God wants to have happen initially in the heart of this church, in our church. That we would grow in faith, grow in love continually. I've seen you over the years that I've been here grow in faith and grow in love. And hopefully you've seen that in me. Amen? Yes. No, I'm just kidding. But I'm just saying... Hopefully, these things are evident in our lives. Then there's a situation where our faith is not growing. What is faith? What is faith? You know, we had, we grew up with the San Diego Padres, and they always had this, you know, the, the friars and all that stuff, and they'd say, hey, keep the faith. I'm like, keep believing in a hopeless cause? This is driving me crazy. <laughs> Flip over to Hebrews chapter 11. In the first verse there, it says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for. Where's your hope? In confidence in what we do not see. Very powerful. And this is what the ancients were commended for. And now they start, and they'll talk all the way through Hebrews chapter 11 about examples of what faith is. By faith, we believe the heavens were formed by God. Why do we believe that? Because we trust what he says. And you continue on, and he goes, By faith, Abraham offered Isaac, believing that he would be raised from the dead. By faith, Abraham went into a land and didn't have a house there. And he went and sojourned. He moved around the place because he was looking for a city whose builder was God. He wasn't looking for a, a physical dwelling, a physical house on this earth. To This wasn't where he lived. His, his hope, his focus was in heaven. And his priorities, his life, his trust was not placed on the earth. It was placed in the Lord who had called him out, who had reached out to him. And so faith is very, it's critical, obviously, in our lives. But growing in faith, when's the last time that you've uh, trusted the Lord more in something? Has God given you something to trust Him more in? Something to obey Him in? Something that He said to you? Something where you thought you understood something and He, and he gave you the ability to not only just to understand it, but to believe it in your heart and to act upon it? Is that an active operation in our lives? Reading God's word, because where does faith come from? What does it say? Faith comes by hearing and hearing that of the word of God. You want to grow in faith? We got to dig in. There's no other way. You want to grow in faith? You got to put the thing that makes faith grow in your heart, and that's his word. You open his word, you read it, and he gives you something to do or shows you something in your heart, and then you go ahead and you respond to it in your life. You act it out, and then you start to grow. Now, you become a very miserable Christian when that process is not happening. It's like when we're kids, and we're sitting on the kitchen floor, and we have cars, and we're rolling them on the kitchen floor, and they get under the oven, and then you got problems. But I mean, you're having fun, right? <laughs> Yes, that is awesome. 
Now, if I am 39 years old and still enjoying that same art of rolling the cars on the floor, I've got a problem. I'm not growing as I should be, correct? And I can have all the outside things of church going on and still be an infant in my walk with the Lord. And so God wants us to grow by being in the Word. And as we're in the Word, life starts to happen in our, in our, in our, in our, in our life. There's life that's translated from Jesus Christ, the living word, these are his words, into my life, and as I accept them, I start to grow spiritually. And, it, and my, my concepts of life change. The way I view relationships change. The way I view love changes. How I act changes. And it models more and more every day the house that I'm under, my father, as I've been adopted into this family by the blood of Jesus Christ, born into the family. And these, their faith was growing. And the product of your faith growing should be and that the love you have would abound towards one another. First Corinthians chapter 13. How are you growing in patience? How are you growing in long-suffering? How are you growing in putting others first? How are you growing in, in meeting the needs of others and denying yourself? Is that abounding in your life? Is that continuing more and more, or are you regressing in that? If we're connected to the vine, if we're connected to Jesus, if his word abides in us, we're just simply trusting, obeying, there's going to be fruit. And I think Fred said it great, whatever dog you feed is going to, is going to grow, right? What dog are you feeding? The flesh or the spirit? You know? I want to feed the hand of heaven, man. Let it get going. So anyways, this, because of your faith is growing more and more, and the love all you have for one another is increasing, and that's, that's the mark of a, of, a, of a healthy church. Faith growing, love abounding. Therefore, because of this, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. Paul just loved this church, and he, wherever he went, he would talk about them because they were getting beat up for their faith. They were experiencing incredible hardships in their faith, in their life. They were being hard-pressed on every side. And notice how he prayed for them. He thanked God that their faith was increasing and their love was increasing in the midst of it. Was he praying? It's very hard to find God saying, uh, Paul saying, take away the pain, take away the suffering, take away the trials, take away the persecution. It's very hard for me to find that in Scripture. Do you find that? How do we pray? Could we be asking amiss? But it's loving to tell them to take away the pain. It is, and we ask. And sometimes God says three times no. But do we continue on in that vein? Not to say we don't hope. Where is our hope? Is it in this body? Is it in this place at this time? Or is our hope placed in heaven? And this devastates us when we realize that we might die young, that our bodies might fall apart, that we might not have everything good on this earth, that we might struggle for years in difficult relationships. We might have problems and, and be persecuted and rejected and have all these things going on right now on this earth. 
And if our view of Christianity, which is a false view, is that God is here to make you wealthy, happy, successful, all these things that you can watch on a Saturday or Sunday morning on TV, if that's your view, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Sorely disappointed because, and you're not going to have much fruit in your life because you start following Jesus and you will suffer. And he'll allow things into your life like Job. Because in God's economy, your faith is more precious to him than anything. Your, uh, your perseverance, the very fact that things are difficult are happening in your heart and yet you call out to God and yet you continue to love and yet you continue to trust him is what is so valuable because that's exactly what happened to Jesus Christ. And that's what he called us to. Persevere on this earth. Faith. Trusting him. That's why tithing. You know, you're sitting there talking about tithing, but I'm just saying giving to God. Why don't we give? Because we're afraid. Because we are holding back. We, don't, we won't be able to have. Anybody struggle with that too? Not, that's just not just you. That happens to me, right? And it's not a guilt trip. But there's a thing behind it. There's a reason why we are, we are limited in certain aspects of our life is because our focus is on here and now. It's not on the provision of our Father. It's not on what He says and the life to come and all those things. And so we have to grow in that. And He says, Therefore, amongst God's churches, we boast about you, your perseverance in faith, in persecutions and trials. That word trials is philipsis. And the idea is it's a heavy burden. And the idea that uh, I've heard is that you're lying down flat and you're on, your, you're on your back and a large stone is placed on your chest. And you just, you have to try to breathe. Every breath is very difficult. It's weighted your trials, that word is also translated. How many of you have it translated for trials as tribulation? Yes. They're trying to find the right word to describe this weight that gets put upon you. How many of you feel like this weight is just so heavy? When's it going to end? When's it going to stop? When will I have relief? We'll keep reading. He says, all this, all these things that are happening, your faith increasing, your love increasing, the, the very fact that you're being persecuted for your faith, the heavy trials that you're going through, it's all what? It's all evidence that God's judgment is right. That when he chose you in Christ Jesus, he chose wisely. I'm not even getting into all that right now, but you know what I'm talking about. That's what he's talking about here. And this evidence is that God's judgment is right and that as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. Why are you suffering? What are you suffering for? Many of us run ourselves through with dumb stuff. We make silly decisions because A, we're fallen, and B, 
uh, that's what my parents did, or C, I'm rebelling against my parents, or D, uh, you know, uh, I know better God, or, you know, I want all these things that we all fall through. But he's talking to a church that is suffering because they have put their faith in Christ. What would it look like if we went out there and started sharing the Lord with people, and all of a sudden, so many of you lost your jobs, and there started to be really difficult tensions in your family, in your relationships, what would you want to do? Stop. Make it stop. And we live in a culture of make the pain stop, do we not? It's scary, because when I read this, what does it talk about about the church? They persevere. The very fact that they push through difficult times, the very fact that trials might knock us down, make us hurt, but there's an overlying truth in our heart, a belief that it's not, we don't live for the here and now, and that God will redeem us. And that belief motivates my actions in life. It says that I will persevere even though I am disliked, unloved. Not that we're going out there and knocking things down and trying to cause trouble. That's not it. But the gospel is offensive. We have a culture that is going to weigh some things in the Supreme Court regarding uh, sexual rights versus religious freedom. They're incompatible in our, in our culture's eyes. You can't have one without the other. In other words, to, be, to believe the Bible is to discriminate against people's sexuality. That's just fl- flat out. If you want to follow what the Bible teaches, you're going to have to stand with the side that God created us, male and female, and that's it. Marriage is in between a man and a woman, no matter what you do. Feel the tension? And so I preach that, and that's hate. Someone listens to this, you go ahead and hand it off to someone, you got people picketing outside. What do you do? You change your message. Well, can't we just say it in a different way? Jesus didn't say it in a different way. He said, in the beginning it was not so. God created a male and female, and this is how they were. That's what marriage is. He's very straightforward about it. Paul talks about it. He condemns things. It's, it's not trying to get on the kick, but I'm just saying, do you realize the tension? The, uh, the, 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 we're facing things in our culture where we need to be followers of Christ. And being light and salt is going to be offensive, just naturally, not even talking about it, but being light and salt. And it's going to cause persecution. It's coming. Will you persevere? You will not if you're living for here and now, if you're living to please men, if that's where your treasure is, if your treasure is in your house, if your treasure is in your job, if your treasure is in how you appear to people or getting along, you will not persevere. But if you, like Jesus, live to do the will of the Father, wherever you are, and you have a spirit within you, and you're living like that day after day, you will persevere. Do whatever trials and tribulations and suffering come your way. 
But all this, all those things are evident that God chose right, that God is just. It was righteous. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. He's talking to the people, not about your position in Christ, but he's talking to them about judgment day. When all men, all women will stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's what he repeats over and over to this church. The context of the King is coming. The King is coming. The King is coming. You, that's why he's saying to them, you will be judged worthy because on that day, you will either be a sheep or a goat. You will either be declared innocent or you will not. And he says, all these things are evidence. What does that tell you? That your lives are proof that God's got a hold of your heart. And how does that happen? It happens in difficulties, in hardships. And so we're praying for God to take those away when that's actually the thing that reveals who we truly are in Christ. And so our prayers should more model Paul and say, Lord, Increase their faith in their trials. Lord, reveal your truth in the middle of their trials. Though he slay me, yet, right? That heart, that heart of Jesus. Yeah, Lord, take it away. But God might say no, and he does often because, again, he's got something far more beautiful, far more precious to bring out of you, to create within you through the pressure and the circumstances a precious son and daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is the model of our relationship with the Father, and how did he live? And so we live the same in his house. So in your trials, in your hardships this morning, your body's falling apart, people aren't liking you, all that stuff, let's change our prayer to say, instead, take it away, Lord. We can pray that, but how long have you been praying it? How long have I been praying? I'm speaking for my own body that's not doing well. What do we do? Perhaps it's time to change our prayer and say, Lord, increase my faith. Increase my peace. Lord, open my eyes to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Will you put my hope and my treasure upon your return? Upon what will you say to me on that day when it's all been said and done? All this is evidence that you will be worthy for the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. What are you suffering for? They are suffering for the kingdom. And God is just. And he reminds us this. God is just. Remember this when you're treated poorly, when, you, when people reject you, when all these things, when hardships are in your life, just remember God is just. That means he will make all things right and it will be good when he judges when he brings justice. And he will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. He will pay back tribulation to those who put tribulation upon you. Ouch. That weight that they put on you, guess what? God's going to put it back on them. And it's my guess is it's going to be a little more intense especially as you read the tribulation and the judgment. He'll do that. He'll repay those back who trouble you. 
And he'll give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. Praise God, he's going to give us relief, amen? Relief, that word means to take the rock off. When's that going to happen? Oh, man. going to give relief to you are troubled and to us as well. And this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. So, what are you going to do with that? What am I going to do with that? Where can you go? What can you do? What do we do with that? He wants us to trust him. He wants us to put our hope upon his return. His eye, our eyes are upon the salvation, the relief that will finally come when the weight of our body's problems, when the weight of the persecution, when the weight of the injustice of this world and the craziness of all the things that are going on will be set right. It will happen when Jesus returns. There'll be no more spin There'll be no more injustice. There'll be no more lies from politicians. There'll be no no more hypocrisy in the church. There'll be no more pedophilia by pastors. I'm just saying, the things that drive us crazy, all the the whole race thing will be worked out. Taxes will be taken care of. Political parties will be put in their places. The whole marriage issue will be done. Jesus will put and he will rule with an iron scepter. He's going to make things straight. He's going to clear it up. That's where my hope is. We don't take vengeance upon people. That is not our place. That is the Lord's place. And when he comes back, he'll do it with the breath of his mouth. He will speak, and it will be right and good. I can't wait. In one respect, I cannot wait for that to happen because I'm so tired of the way things are. But on the other hand, Lord, wait, because there's the lost. And his heart is the same. Do you know, he wants to wait. Why is he taking so long, Peter talks about? And we can read that in Second Peter, but you know, there's an interesting thing in, in Genesis. When I went to the Genesis class, you read the first five or six, seven, eight, nine patriarchs, and each of their names means something. They mean something in the Hebrew, and if you line them up, it talks about uh, the return of Christ, or basically Jesus will come and all that stuff and start teaching you and all this. Cre- it's like, what in the world? You know, Melchizedek, he... he lasted the longest out of, not Melchizedek, sorry, uh, what's his name, Methuselah? He was the longest person who lived on the earth, recorded. Why? His name means his death will bring it. And you find out that if you, that's why all the numbers are there in Genesis, you're reading all these numbers, and he lived 655 years, and I'm a math person, I'm not a math person, so I'm like, okay, next book. 
God put it in there for a purpose. And as you do the math and you find out how long people leave, you find out that on the day that Methuselah died was the day that the flood came, Noah's 600th birthday. Why? And you read back that he was a son of Enoch. And something happened when Enoch, it said the pattern breaks. And -and so-and-so had kids, and they lived this many years, then they died. So-and-so had kids, they lived this many years, and you get to Enoch, and what happens? And Enoch lived 360 years, and then he had kids, and then something changed in his life. Something to do with Methuselah's name There was a prophecy. There was something that woke him up to the fact that when this kid dies, there's judgment that's coming. Why did he live that long? Why was he the longest person in the Bible? Because God desires to delay his wrath, but he will not delay it forever. And that's the heart of the Lord. Yes, to bring justice, but oh God, mercy. He desires to bring mercy upon people like us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We're almost done. And this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God. John 17, 3 says, and this is eternal life, to know the one true God in Jesus Christ and sent. Those who do not know him, that means a personal relationship that don't have a person, not know about, demons know about God. Know personally. That's what that word is. And who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. To know God is to love him and to love him is to obey him. The very fruit of our relationship of knowing God is that we obey him, we follow him. Jesus repeats over and over, I will judge people according to what they do. How does that reconcile with these verses? Think it over. Scary stuff. In verse 9, it says, They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. How many of you just would rather not talk about everlasting destruction? So here's what everlasting destruction means in the Greek. It means everlasting destruction. <laughs> Just wanted to clarify that. If you get down into the root, it, that's what it means. So it means what it says. There'll be the judgment seat when the Lord comes back with his angels and they will reap us, the resurrection, the two resurrections we talked about. Those who are the sheep and those who are the goats. Jesus said, those who did my will are the sheep and those who did not are the goats. So are we saved by works? No, but our works better show we've saved. (laughs) That's just what it says over and over and over. How we live is important. We've got a messy view of grace. Grace in the Bible is not it's not uh, God's rich. You know, we see God's riches at Christ's expense. It means that God has now given us the ability to have victory over sin. That's what grace is. Whereas before we didn't. That's Romans six straight out. God's grace is that you now have the Spirit of Christ in you to overcome. That's what grace is. 
you now have the ability to obey. You have, now have the ability to follow. You now have the ability to glorify Christ in your mortal bodies. Whereas before you didn't. Romans 6, read it over and over. And he goes on. There will be the everlasting punishment and destruction, shut out from the presence and the glory of his might. Jesus talked over and over and over about that. Matthew chapter 3, Matthew chapter 13, Matthew chapter 24, and a lot of other places. The fire that never stops, the worm that keeps eating over and over and over. doesn't stop. We're not annihilated. Revelation uh, 20, verse 10. Other places. But he's coming on that day to do what? To be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. We are going to have a blown mind when Christ comes. We're going to go, ah! I mean, it's just going to, and we're just going to go crazy. Who he is and his splendor and his glory and the heavens ripping apart and his angels coming down and our hearts just going yes and connecting with him and there we will be with him forever and ever, marveling at his glory and his splendor, things that we would never even imagine. His grace and his mercy to us. I can't wait for that day. Praise God. It's okay to give an amen. That's what he's talking about, to be glorified in his holy people, in you, Christ in you. And we'll marvel at him, those who have believed. And this includes you because you believed in our testimony. That's you guys, because you believe in the gospel. Belief is, is the heart and it's the action. So with this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling. So notice who makes you worthy of the calling. And they're praying for that to happen. For this reason, we constantly pray that you would have a light and fluffy life. There would be no hardships and whatsoever. And that you would, you know, may the lattes flow. You know, it's just like, no, 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 no. Repent of that prayer. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power, who's going to make you worthy? God. Whose power? God's. By his power, he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness. God, make every good desire in these people happen. Make it happen. That's how he's praying. Man, I want to love my wife. God, will you make that happen in the life of this person? Pray for it, that God would empower them. That's where, we, that's, where we, that's where our hope is. Matt is not a good husband without Jesus Christ. Newsflash. Matt is not a good pastor without Jesus Christ fully empowering and, and moving. Amen? Nor can you do anything apart from him. And, and guess what? God desires to do it in and through you, to make you more like Jesus. In closing here, in, well, by the power that he may bring to fruition your desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. Notice these things are, that they're asking for. Deeds prompted by faith. Goodness. Are these the things we're praying for that we're seeking in our lives? Are you looking for ways to please your Father? Okay, we're almost there. I love my kids. How many of you have, have had little kids and the involvement sports of some kind when they're little, right? You know, Ruthie, when she knows I'm at gymnastics, she will go out there and she'll like, you know, she'll run and she'll do a little, and what's the first thing she does when she's done? 
Did that make you happy, Dad? That's our lives before our Father. Go out there and work and go. (laughs) He loves you. Just run for him. Play with him. Have a great time in your life, but mindful. You're just thinking, I'm going to do this. I wonder what my dad thinks. Will this please him? Enjoy. That's the relationship we have with our Father. Love, joy, peace. These things are flowing in our lives. Let that increase. Pray for that to happen. Abound in your life and my life. Like little kids, looking back at our Father, everything we do. And we pray this so that, why do they pray that? so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. God, he's praying all these things so God would be glorified in you. How are our prayer lives? Are we praying that God may be glorified in us? That what we do may magnify him, may reflect him, may see him? You see, you wonder why prayers don't get answered those kind of prayers get answered in a big way. And if we as a church could just grasp onto this, if I as a pastor could grasp onto this and start of, instead of playing, oh God, stop this. Please let this happen. Oh gosh, this is this desperate. If we could start praying, God, glorify yourself. I don't even know what that means, but make it happen because you said it. Amen? God's just going to start glorifying himself. Lord, This situation does not glorify you. Start glorifying yourself. Begin with me. Okay, this is what I need to do. Glorify you by this. Amen? We live to glorify God. We live in view of his second coming. I want to encourage you in this this week. As you go out, as you suffer, as you are having hardships, and it will happen as you don't have places to live or, you know, all this great stuff that's happening in our lives, right? Put your eyes upon the prize, the end. Cast off any weight that hinders you and run like mad to, pre- to please your Father. Amen? Lord God, we lift up this fellowship of your kids. We're all here just kind of like in this big playroom right now. And Lord, it's amazing that we have this much attention span. <coughs> And I'm asking, Lord, that you would capture our hearts, that we would view you differently today as you truly are and what you are truly calling us to, Lord. We pray that in light of this church, this beautiful little church we're reading about here in Thessalonica, Lord, that we would just mimic them as they mimicked you. And Lord, that we would be reflecting you in the midst of trials and hardships and persecutions. Lord, that when people look at our lives, they don't see grumpiness and complaining and backbiting and all this kind of stuff, that they would see just the solid hope of eternity and that no matter what happens, you've got us. I praise you for that. And we ask that you would do that work in our fellowship more and more. Make that abound, that people would marvel at your goodness in us, regardless of what's going on. And so do what you must do. We do pray that the enemy would be stopped, Lord, where it's unnecessary, Lord. But we ask for open doors in this area. In our suffering, you be glorified. In the name of Jesus, amen.